You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Wonderful. Happy Father's Day. Well, hey, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited to be joining you. If maybe you came in late, uh, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Drew. I work with the 1829 uh, Young Adults uh, just across Kensington. And uh, I, just, I do want to give a quick promo. If you're a young adult, we have a small group that meets Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And we'd be thrilled to have you. It's a, it's a new crew, a new community that's just getting to know each other. And uh, we'd be so thrilled to have you. Come talk to me after service, or we can just see you Wednesday night. We meet down in the cafe, and we'd be so thrilled. You don't have to be far along in your faith journey at all. You can just show up as you are, and uh, we, we, we would just love to have a great conversation with you and get to know you. Well, hey, um, if you've been missing out, we have been in a series or collection of talks called Vines and Grapes, and we are in the fourth week of the series, and the idea of Vines and Grapes, it's referring to the metaphor that Jesus uses to describe himself as the vine, that when we're in relationship with him, our life will bear fruit, and the fruit is simply our behavior, or the quality of our life will become tasty. So today, uh, we are looking at the second portion of a famous passage of scripture called the fruit of the spirit, where Craig uh, unpacked the first three fruit last week. We're looking at the next three fruit. Um, But before we do, I just want to welcome those who are joining online and streaming. Thank you so much. And we want to pause for a moment just to receive our offering. And so we have the ushers come forward and pass the buckets. Um, We just want to say thank you so much for your continued generosity. I love how Craig always says it. This fuels mission. Um, this, every dollar goes directly towards a life transformation, impacting local community, impacting the globe. And, and so we're just so thankful that you've continuously, generously partnered with us. And uh, if you've never given before, there's a few easy ways to give. Um, you can actually text give. Maybe you've done this with companies or shopping or whatever, but you just simply text the phone number. And the phone number is 77977. And you text the word Kensington. It spits a link back out at you. And you you can actually click the link and put in your information, or you can give on our app and also online or simply as the buckets pass. And again, we just want to say thank you for partnering with us on this mission. Now, before we kind of get going, I have a question. Have you ever had a moment where you chose payback and it backfired? Have you ever had a moment where you chose payback and it backfired? Now, I've known my wife for 10 years. We've been dating her together for 10 years. We've been married for seven years, and we just welcomed our second beautiful baby girl uh, just three months ago. Thank you. Thank you. I know. Thank you. Yeah, that was... By saying thank you, I welcomed the applause, you know. I did so much. But we welcomed our second baby girl, and we're just, you know, we're, we love it. But, but the thing that maybe not a lot of people know about me and my wife is, like, early on in our relationship... We were so volatile. Like, we were constantly getting into fights and conflicts. We had a lot of hurt. We had a lot of deep pain, just a lot of rejection towards each other. And maybe you've had an intimate relationship. Maybe it was a parent, a partner. Maybe it's your children. But isn't this true in relationships? The closer we are with someone, the more we know everything about them, the more they know everything about us. And in the process, there's a lot more disagreement. And then we create a view of them. And no matter what, we just see them through that lens that we've created, that they're that type of person. And so we interact with them as the angry person or the anxious person, right? So for my wife and I, we started off on this foot of having 
so much pain that we were so sensitive to each other's moods. We were so sensitive to each other's tones. I mean, we were reading into things that weren't even there. I mean, we were picking fights that didn't need to be picked. Has anyone ever been in a relationship like this before? Okay, we got some, got some people. You know how it is. What it feels like is you're checking the weather every five seconds at them, making sure that it's bright, sunny skies and it's not storm clouds. It's that feeling. And so one day, just early in our relationship, um, I got so like angry at the gym because we would work out together before kids. And when we went to, the, to, went to the gym together this one time, you know, I was moderately in my fitness journey, but like we looked some stuff up on YouTube because that's what you do in the gym to not feel stupid and you're doing the right form. And so we get there and all of a sudden she starts to like coach me through it, which like bruised my fragile male ego because I'm the one who should be strong, buffed, cut, all these things. But now like my wife's like, no, you're, you're off balance. Your knees need to be bent. And I got so mad, I like flicked the handle of the, of the bar and I was like, fine, you do it. Just like reacted, right? Classic, classic fight. Here we go. And she looks at me and she says the magic words. And maybe you've been here. She just goes, not in here, we're in public. <laughs> just like the ultimate shame, like you're a, re- a reactive volcano, and I know you're going to react, which all of a sudden sends you into explosion mode because you're like, oh, no, are you serious? Really? You think I'm going to react here? I don't care. Let them watch, right? Ever had that like, kind of like, that's actually not a good strategy, but you got to say it because that's how you feel? So anyways, we're doing this, and I was so frustrated in this moment. Like, I decided to pay her back, and I like, went to the locker room. It was winter, and I got my coat, and I sat on the bench next to the drinking fountain, and I was just going to wait for her to be done like the mature adult I am. And as I'm sitting there, I was like, oh, man, she's, she's just not even looking over. I'm watching her doing her workout. And has anyone ever, like, done the thing where you send a text that's really petty because you're trying to regain power and get under their skin? Has anyone ever done this before? Okay, yes. There was, like, an immediate, like, I, this is my lifestyle, and I love that for us because this was so me in this moment. I just sent her, like, the most te- petty text message. I said, are you serious? That's what you're going to do? That's what you're going to say to me? Hit send. And from across the gym, she doesn't know I'm watching her, she picks up my phone, reads it, and just throws it to the ground. (laughs) If I wasn't a volcano, now I surely am. So, got my keys, got my coat, got my wallet, got in the car, and drove home without her. And then I had like a record scratch moment, like, wait, what am I doing right now? <laughs> Has anyone ever done this before? Like all the guys where you're like, I'm going to show them. And then you do the thing and then you're like, wait, where did I think this was going to get me? On the couch? Because like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I just blew up my whole day. Like, I, what am I doing? Did I think this was going to work? So I, I sent a text and I just see my phone. It says Drew Daniels. And I was like, oh my gosh. And we made up and it was good. But here's the thing, right? Payback never gets us what we want. If you obey the body and everything that it wants to clamp down, to bite down, to react, to be petty, it never gets us to where we really want to go. Payback backfires. And yet in all of life, it feels like our whole existence is managing triggers. It's to not be offended by our coworkers. It's not to be offended by our smart aleck, you know, preteens. It's not to be offended by our spouse and their tones and their moods. And, and everything inside of us, all we want to do is just have a little bit of payback. But payback backfires. It never gets us to where we truly want to go. And the problem is, as we're looking in this, this verse in Galatians, the three fruit, before we show it, the three fruit we're looking at are forbearance, kindness, and goodness. And when we think about these attributes, If I'm honest, 
anyone can be kind, anyone can be good when you only interface with them one time, right? If your Starbucks barista gets the order wrong, sometimes it's easy just to be nice. You don't have to live with that Starbucks barista and them getting your coffee wrong every single morning. It's just one time. The real hardship is it's in our intimate relationships that we, we see over and over and over again, that when we or if we choose to decide to use patience, goodness, and kindness, it can feel like self-betrayal. Self-betrayal, right? Because the moment you, who's harming me, I have to be kind to you and patient with you, what does it feel like? Like I'm enabling your bad behavior. I'm allowing you to just do whatever you want to do, and I just get to be harmed in the process. Or you can just feel like you're submitting yourself to being a doormat for the rest of your life, right? So what do we feel? It's like, how do I not pay back? How do I have boundaries? But yet I'm supposed to be kind, good, and patient in all of this, right? And so, you know, it's in our intimate relationships where it's the hardest not to retaliate, not to react, not to pay back. And so last week, Craig He focused on the first three fruit. Let's put the verse up there in Galatians chapter five. It says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that against such things there is no law. Here's the thing. I think this verse hurts. The reason why it hurts is because early readers would have saw this as a way that they should have measured how closely they were following Jesus. Meaning, if you're following Jesus, you're supposed to feel those things because you're following so closely, right? And what's so interesting about what Craig talked about, those first three, love, joy, and peace, those are all states of feeling, right? You can have a state of peace, a state of joy, a state of love. Certainly, you can choose those, but you kind of live in a state of them. However, the next three, forbearance, kindness, and goodness, Those are decisions that we make, and they're not the decisions that we want to make. It's always the decisions when we don't want to make them. And here's why we know this, because when you look in the Greek, there is this implied sense. You have to make those decisions when there's a wrong against you, when someone's agitated you, when you're annoyed, when you're triggered, when you're backed into a corner. Forbearance simply means to refuse to avenge oneself, right? It also means long-suffering in the waiting, or kindness. It's not just about, you know, being kind. It's about repaying evil, with good means being kind. Or about goodness, it's not just about being good, it's about showing mercy to those who are sinners, right? And so in all of this, there's this kind of sense where we have to use these particular fruits or we have to experience these particular fruits in the moments we don't have the patience and we want to. And so here's what I think Paul's summarizing. He's saying, choose patience over payback, right? To give back instead of to pay back, right? But here's a question. Why is Paul even writing this verse about the fruit of the Spirit? Like, these are the questions that maybe we glaze over because we all have this verse in, like, some sort of rock in our front yard or, like, on a a, a frame in our, 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 our kitchen or whatever. But at one point, there was a real agenda, a real audience who needed to know this that didn't know this. And so why would Paul ever write this verse and try to describe this, flesh this out? Well, because in the Galatian church that he was writing to, there was a major problem going on. A major problem, and it might not be what you think it is. It's not like they were these mean, impatient people. Here's what it was there was a merging of two different ethnic groups. See, there was Jews, one ethnic group, worshiped the God of the Bible, you know, or of the Old Testament, did sacrifices, circumcision, clean eating. And then there were Gentiles, which simply meant 
people who were non-Jewish or foreigners who maybe they did some of their own sacrifices to other gods, but they had no, no loyalty to the Jewish customs and traditions. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, all of a sudden Paul is going around saying, you don't even need to do the Jewish customs anymore. You have freedom in Christ. However, for the Jewish people, they go, wait, what does that mean that I'm losing my identity? I'm losing everything I, I've put my, my, my life in and, and now you're saying that this doesn't mean anything? Well, hold on, surely it can't be. Let's try to get these Gentiles to do all of the customs that I've been doing. Let's get them circumcised. Yeah, because then I'll, it'll, it'll matter and be important. And Paul looks at them and says, no, absolutely not. In fact, Paul calls out Jesus' best friend, Peter, by saying, why are you trying to make them like you? He says it like this. He says, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? And Paul corrects it. He says, you don't need to do this anymore. We have freedom in Christ. And he says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. It's one. There's no longer slave or free even. Scandalous. They're one. Male or female, it's all together, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Maybe you didn't know this, but when you, whenever any of us read the New Testament, the bottom line of a lot of these books is actually this idea, the idea of how to merge two different ethnic groups, the idea that God wanted a multi-ethnic family. We take this back to the Old Testament where God revealed himself to Abram, right? What did he say? Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But up until that point, God had only revealed himself to Israel. But Jesus revealed the mystery of the gospel, as Paul says, by including every other people group. It's a multi-ethnic family, and this was God's intention from Abraham always in the beginning to have a multi-ethnic family. And that's why here at Kensington, and even federally, um, we're observing another holiday that's taking place tomorrow, which is Juneteenth, or June 19th, 1865, which is formally noticed as the final true day of slavery. For all that Abraham Lincoln had freed slaves a couple years earlier, the last slaves were officially freed a couple years later on this day. And the reason why we celebrate this, it's actually because during the time of slavery, there were some Christians who helped use the Bible to justify the abduction, torture, and murder of black Africans and African Americans. That there were Christians who for years failed to see our black brothers and sisters as equal image bearers, worthy of the freedom, worthy of just physical freedom, and on top of that, the freedom in Christ. And so it is with us as Christians that we help redeem and rewrite our history to acknowledge the historical suffering of black men and women who sacrificed, who endured, who had forbearance and patience and kindness as they were being victimized and brutalized for centuries and years. It's with this spirit that we honor those who are heroic, the same way that we honor those who are heroic, who died and lost their lives in the, in the, in the field of battle. And so why, coming back, why does Paul write about the fruit of the Spirit? If this is the background, here's why. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the new measurement to show how closely you're following Jesus. Before, they would just see it as circumcision, law, abiding, just keeping all your rules. But now, no, no, no. It's actually in what you experience inside relationship with the vine, Jesus, our heavenly father. When you are close, you will manifest those characteristics and qualities. And so Paul is laying it out. It's not about what you do. It's not about obeying the desires of the flesh just because you're an obedient, you know, Torah, you know, abider. No. It's actually when you exhibit these qualities, that is the kingdom of God. That is the new legislation of love that Jesus came to set up through the work of his Holy Spirit. 
And many Jews, they constantly felt the sense that they had to pay God back, pay God back, because God was angry when God said, no, 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 I'm going to give back. I'm going to give back my only son, because he didn't use payback as his main strategy. God did not use payback as his main strategy. As we'll see, he used kindness. But if I'm honest, like, speaking to all the fathers in here at Father's Day, it's one thing to know, yeah, this is like what the quality is someone who's following Jesus looks like. But again, when it comes to our intimate relationships, it can feel like the last thing we're known by. I wish I could sit up here today and say like this silly little Jim story is like the last or only story that I've ever had, right? Like actually just a couple weeks ago, like I'm driving away from work, which, you know, I work at a church, so I'm in the church parking lot, and I'm sitting, turning around and screaming at my three-year-old son because there was a part of me that felt like he had power over me. And the part of me that just didn't want to feel manipulated or weak or foolish or, you know, a weak man because my son, who's three, is bossing me around, just leaned into him and screamed with a full chest to stop and no. Dad said no. And I wasn't even that triggered. I could have handled it. But a part of me leaned into that, right? Another part of me, you know, it's like I've always uh, broke, uh, even for me, I never thought I'd break some of my own promises. It's like, one of the things I always say to my kids is like, hey, daddies sometimes get mad, but daddies always apologize. Daddies always apologize. And it's so crazy to watch yourself with that feeling of rejection, right? Which is like crazy, because I know some of you parents of teenagers are like, oh, just you wait. <laughs> and I'm like, I have a three-year-old, so like, this is where I am. And I'm like, isn't this crazy, guys? And you're like, we get it. Yep, yep, you're, you got it, Drew. <laughs> But like, I'm like over here, I'm like, wow, like I can understand for some of you parents and grandparents what that feeling is like to be like, wow, like I'm unwanted or I'm like, like I realize like there's a part of me that does look for my, my, my kids love to fulfill a part of me that maybe feels missing, right? And so when they reject me or push me away, like I take it personal when they're just an undeveloped little tiny three-year-old brain who doesn't know any better, who's not consciously thinking about it. And even then, I watch myself, like, instead of fixing and repairing the relationship, walking away, letting him go to bed, having a few days go in between, I'm sitting over here sour, and all he feels is like his dad is missing. I wish I could say, even as a husband, that I'm some sort of perfect model citizen, but again, even early, and early in our relationship and dating, you know, I was so mad that when I walked away, I, like, punched a door frame, and to this day, my knuckle is still out of alignment, and I haven't gotten it checked because I'm a guy, but I wish I could sit here and say like, yeah, I've kept a cool head and I've been, I've been temperamental. But if I'm honest and I'm speaking to all the fathers in the house and all the men in the house or maybe a man that you know in your, in your life or your grandparents or your own dad maybe if you're not married, it's like deep down, I think a lot of men worry that they are the monster. I think deep down many men believe that they are the monster swimming at the bottom of the ocean grabbing the legs of everyone they've loved and pulling them down because of the way that they act or don't act or don't interact, right? How many of us men feel like when you met your wife or your girlfriend, right? Like there's pure innocent. You were gonna be the guy who was different. You were gonna make everything better. You were always gonna love them. You believe that, but somewhere along the way, your temper, your anger, your past, your hurts, your hangups, your triggers got the better of you or they got the better of you. They triggered you and now you're sitting here day after day becoming the very thing that you promised you'd never become. Your very innocent, sweet wife or girlfriend now has become destroyed and you can't help but believe it's you. Or maybe you never thought you'd maybe repeat your own father's mistakes, but there you are sitting there replaying your father's story or your mother's story, the things your mother said to you. And as a father, you're putting that on your children and you don't know how to escape that cycle. Now you are robbing them of their innocence 
and going to have to pay for their therapy in 10 years. <laughs> but how many of us feel this deep, deep sense where maybe, maybe I really am the monster who can devour? See, even what's so hard is there's so much discourse even for men right now in the world where, you know, like I was actually at um, a bachelor kind of hangout this weekend and we were at a comedy club and they're asking some of the women, what's some great advice? And they're just like, just say, yes, honey. You know, they're like, she's always right. And even in this, for men, there's this sense of just like, man, like, am I really this terrible of a person where I just like, I don't know any better and I don't know, I'm not anything that's good. I'm just gonna fail whatever I put my hands to. And even when we look at some of the research, there's a research group and it just feels like it buries us. And I'm about to show you a statistic here. And it can feel a little bit incriminating. It can feel condemning when you look at it because it's overwhelming to look at, right? And then it makes you feel like, man, maybe all the women that are in my life are right. Here's the first step. Uh, the famous researchers, the Gottmans, Ju- Julian John Gottman did the study. They found that 85% of people who stonewall in male-female relationships are men. Meaning stonewalling is when you shut down, you turn off your emotions and you look like a potato, you're rotting, you're decomposing, you're making sure no- you-, you can't hear anything or be affected. And 85% of the time that behavior is done, it's performed by men. And then you look at the bottom, 80% of the time, it's women who bring up issues in the relationship. And it's not in the way where they're nagging and there's always something wrong. It's they're communicating and offering bids to make repairs in the relationship. And guess what that 80%? That's even in happy couples. Even the couples who rated the highest quality of marriage, that they were so fulfilled and happy with their marriage, even they had 80% of the conflict initiated by women. So we can look at this as men and just go, good night. Like, I'm just getting buried. This is incriminating. This is condemning. And all the women are like, man, I'm going to take a picture of this. But what if I told you there's actually a very comforting explanation behind this? An explanation that I don't really believe a lot of men know, but once you actually know the explanation behind this graphic and why we do this, maybe you can offer yourself some compassion. And maybe when you have some compassion, maybe you actually might be kind. And when you're actually kind, maybe you can change. Maybe we can heal, right? So one of the things they found, ready for this? When anyone's heart rate goes over 100 beats per minute, get this, they're instantly flooded with cortisol, adrenaline, and out goes any processing. There's no creative thinking. There's no information processing. You can kiss repairing that conflict goodbye because you are in a cocktail of adrenaline and hormones that just make you attack. And that's why they say take some deep breaths and take some space because you ain't solving anything when you are out for blood. But here's what they found out. There is a difference between men and women in this. What they found was is that men's cardiovascular system is more reactive and their stress system responds slower. Meaning, if you were to put a man and a woman together here on the stage and they thought they were doing a study and you introduced a loud banging sound that was really scary, both of them would react and what? Their heart rate would go up, their blood pressure would go up. But here's the thing. For men, their heart rate and blood pressure escalated and accelerated higher than the woman's and then stayed accelerated longer than the woman's. Woman was able to calm down. So for men, why are they so vigilant? Why are they so adrenaline-filled? Well, then they did this other study. Get this. They provoked a guy for 20 minutes. They would just take him in. They'd provoke him. You know, they'd just make him upset and angry. And then they said, okay, sit there, relax, calm down. The men were not able to calm down in the 20 minutes given to them. And in fact, the only way they were able to calm down is if they were able to retaliate even in just the slightest. But then when they did this with women, women were able to calm down in the 20 minutes. In fact, 
women, the only time their blood pressure and heart rate got accelerated after this exercise was when someone was trying to bait them to retaliate. They wouldn't do it. So what are we saying? What we're saying is, for men, it's more overwhelming to be in conflict. And they offered an explanation behind this, and this is just a hypothesis. One thing they thought was, well, for women, when they're able to calm down, they produce more breast milk, thus ensuring that they're going to feed their kids. A great design that God put in women to say, hey, you need to calm yourself so you can feed your kids so they can stay alive so they can flourish. And the same, so, so what's the men's reason? Well, for men, they were cooperative hunters for a long time, and in the hunting, they needed to stay vigilant. They needed their adrenaline to be on guard so they could feed their family. They could kill animals. And so, men, what I'm really trying to say here is when you get overactivated and the reason why you're so angry, it's just buck fever, baby. <laughs> buck fever is like when you get that adrenaline, you're about, to make it, you're about to kill, right? So the next time you're in a fight, you're like, baby, I got to go hunting. You know what I'm saying? Like, just that buck fever. I got to go fishing. I got to go kill something. This is what it's made for, Right? Like, this is a God design, right? Like, he's, he's like, hey, I want you to survive and flourish. And here's the thing, right? Even anger. We look at anger as this bad, shameful emotion. The Bible says, do not be angry. Well, it's not saying not to experience the emotion of anger. It's saying not letting it to be the source of your life, to be the source of your decision-making, to be ruled by anger. No, be ruled by love. But even Jesus expresses anger, Right? We see this all over scripture, people expressing anger even to God and lamenting to God and mourning and being angry with them, right? And so here's the thing. For all of us men who maybe we struggle with anger or maybe if you're a woman, you struggle with anger, anger is actually something that serves us because even God has righteous anger, right? Anger is what keeps unhealthy things out. Our body is kind of like immune system with emotions. Like we let nourishing things in and we let it nourish and replenish us, but we keep all the harmful things out. Anger is simply that. And so when we have anger, what if it's the thing that's trying to serve you to tell you that your needs aren't being met? So when we look at the scripture and it's trying to offer us a solution, what's saying is, is that payback is never going to get you what you want. So what is? Paul elaborates in Romans. He says this. He says, do you not show, or, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you towards repentance? See, what if God's main strategy to create life change was kindness? Because I think what, what's, what's being said is, hey, obeying your body it's not gonna give you the nurture you want from your spouse. Hey, obeying your passivity and shutting down, it's not gonna get you the comfort and the connection and the intimacy you want. So we can't just obey our bodies, right? But instead, what we need to do is subject ourselves to the kindness of God because it says kindness leads to repentance or change, change of heart, change of mind, right? What if God's main strategy was not to use guilt or payback, it was actually to use kindness and gentleness. And do you know how I know this? Honestly, I think I realized a few months ago, I've shared this before, but for me, I realized in my relationship with God that I would like interact with God as if I was an abused partner. I would just be like, God, no, 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 it's, it's really about you and you're powerful and you're mighty and I just am not thinking about you enough and like everything that's good is from you and everything that's bad is from me and so if you could just like point that out and like just, just put me in my place, just gently, please. Like I would just love. Man, does anyone 
only approach our spouse or only approach our parent and start with a five-minute apology? Do we do that in anywhere in our relationship with imperfect people? What's that like when we show up to a perfect God who is perfect patience and every speech starts with an apology? And guess what? This is what God has been trying to convince us of all over the scriptures. He's like, no, no, no. It's kindness that leads you to repentance. No, 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 no. I died for you. Even while you were dead in your sin, Christ died for us. And Jesus is like, okay, how can I get this through? It's like a guy who runs away from home and the son thinks that God's mad at it or the, the, the father's mad at him, but the son comes back rehearsing his speech and the father just embraces him. The father doesn't care. Right? How else can I tell you? It's like if you lose something, you're going to go find it like a sheep or, or a coin, right? And then you're so glad that it's found that you're not mad that it was lost. Like, what else does God have to do to try to convince us that his main way of operating and creating life change isn't through payback? It's not through retaliation. It's not making you feel it because you deserve to feel it. What if his main strategy was to be kind? What if it was to be patient? Because that is the point of the cross. You are already accepted. You think, no, 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 well, the Bible does talk so much about, like, you know, modifying behavior. Yeah, but guess what? When we were all dead in our sins, when none of us were obeying God, when nobody was, was, was worshiping or loving God, Christ died for us. When we did nothing right to honor God, God accepted us. See, I think if we're a father or a husband or, or we have a man in our life or whatever, and we feel this visceral sense of reactivity, of retaliation, and we're thinking that we're just going to be like Bruce Banner and try to contain the Hulk, I think we're missing it. And to follow the example, I love how in one of the Avengers movies, Mark Ruffalo's The Hulk actually kind of permanently converts to being the Hulk but he just becomes smart and he becomes smart Hulk and wears glasses and is nice to all the kids as the Hulk. See, I don't think it's about hiding and trying to contain the monster that's inside. I actually think it's about embracing maybe the parts of us that we believe are so unlovable, the parts that we don't even want to show our partner, our spouse, or God, the things we would never admit, the things that we've been feeling for an entire year that we could never confess. I think what God is saying is, I know those parts and I love those parts. It's not work on those parts. It's no, I love the part of you. I accept you. It's okay. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Like one of my rules I have when I, I meet with people or young adults, I say, what you share here has no consequence. It's no consequence. I'm not co- gonna call this person. I'm not gonna coach you. I'm not gonna fix, fix you. You're not broken. I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong or I'm not here to tell you what God should say and how you didn't, no, no, no. What you share has no consequences because I want to embody what Christ did for me, that while I was a sinner, Christ fully accepted me and loved me, and it's love that changes the heart, not correction. And can correction matter? Yeah, scripture teaches us that a loving father will gently guide us towards the path to to, to get us where we wanna go, but what we are seeing is the main strategy, the most effective strategy isn't one of payback and retaliation. It's one of kindness, forbearance. And that, the reason why I know this is because that's what happens when you follow Jesus. You naturally become kind. You naturally become forgiving. You naturally become patient. When you're closer to God, that's how we are. Choosing patience over payback. How many of us need to have a new view of God because we don't even attend to his presence because we believe he's out to pay us back? And what if the whole time 
he's wanting to say, I wanna love the parts of you that you believe are unlovable, the anger, all these things. And I believe the more we can explore it with God and understand where it's coming from, that really every part of our reactivity and retaliation is just from a hurt person who is looking for love. Every part of you that retaliates and reacts knows that it needed something and that thing you needed was to be loved. And so instead of retaliating and paying back, why wouldn't we go to the source, the vine, who is love, who shows us kindness, who shows us patience? And the more we connect into the vine, all of a sudden it manifests in, the, in, a, in, a, in a replacement of patience and kindness and goodness. It's not about being kind or being good. It's about being transformed by the one who is kindness that changes hearts. Father, we just are so thankful that you are kind. We're thankful that you are good, that your main strategy to bring people back to you was not making them jump through more hoops, not making them do rituals. It was actually just about being in relationship with you. It's about yielding their heart to you. It's about releasing their, 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 their junk to you. God, it was always about relationship with you. It was always a part of your heart to have everyone belong. It's not create barriers that are impossible to follow, but rather to have a relationship with a heavenly father who made it so clear that you are love and accepting even when we are at our worst. And no matter how hard we try to justify that we are unlovable or that we deserve punishment or that we deserve to be distanced from our, 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 our family, our parents, our kids, our spouse, God, we don't have to be distant from you. We can be close to you. So God, may we use today on this Father's Day to be a time where we go back to our Heavenly Father and to relearn what true safety, true love feels like. We thank you in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.